Good evening and welcome to the show. Um, it is The Locker Room with Michael and Matthew all the way till 7 o'clock tonight. Don't forget you can email us any points of view because it's quite a busy, busy show this week. Um, you can email us at lockerroomindialive at gmail.com lockerroomindialive at gmail.com Now Matthew, when, when, when we start working on the show, maybe like Wednesday, right? We thought, like, okay, we've got everything now. But when we woke up this morning, <laughs> the show was like totally changed. <laughs> I mean, but every, every week, like, we speak about Celtic first because obviously they're so popular that's going on at Celtic Park now. But again, when we woke up together, there was another piece to the soap opera about Peter Orwell. Oh, no. And, and just when you, like you say, just when you think you've got everything sorted, you wake up this morning, and we, we talk, obviously, before we come on, and just before just before we start looking at this week's show, something's changed again, and you're thinking, <laughs> oh, the, the news just keeps changing, and the good thing is we managed to keep up with it. So I suppose that's the, the good it's thing. A, it's a guess that keeps on giving... <laughs> As we always are. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the the news coming out of Celtic Park this morning was, I don't, I wouldn't say it was completely unexpected, but it was shocking the way it was delivered because I think it was one of those things that Celtic fans thought should happen, but never imagined that it would happen. If you know what I mean. Um, and then obviously, I think it was seven o'clock this morning. Celtic announced to the Stock Exchange that um, Chief Executive Peter Lawwell has resigned his post and that uh, he will be replaced by Dominic Mackay of the Scottish Rugby Union. So the board confirmed that Lowell will actually, has tendered his resignation and will retire from his job at Celtic on June the 30th this year. So it's a big piece of news. I mean, the only thing about him retiring on June the 30th is uh, the timing of it isn't great. And uh, it's almost like he's part and shot at Celtic because the timing isn't great for two reasons. Number one, Celtic are probably going to have to find a new manager and a new director of football in that time that he'll still be there but retiring. But also number two, 30th of June, Celtic, if they finish second, will be looking at Champions League qualifiers round about then. And then obviously Dominic Mackay will be taking over about that time as well. So it's not great timing really. I I think a lot of these things should happen immediately, uh, whether it's uh, Peter Lawwell whether it's Neil Lennon, a lot of these things should happen immediately. So there's a blending in time between now and May and planning can take place for May, June's transfer windows and then obviously going on to the Champions League qualifiers. But everything at Celtic tends to just always drag on a little bit. And again, would it surprise you in July we'll have a new manager or Celtic will have a new manager in place. Celtic will have a new director of football in place. They'll have a new... Uh, chief executive in place and the Champions League qualifiers will be happening within a week or two of that date so again Celtic are leaving it really late but at least the changes are happening at Celtic Park that the fans have been hoping would happen. I mean I, I, I didn't realise Matthew that um, obviously time goes past that quick or something right but I didn't realise that Peter Lowell has been at Celtic for 17 years and you must get mad I mean take this season out of like equation because it's been a <laughs> oh it's been a mess this season and that's a polite way of putting it to the Celtic fans. But he's actually did quite well for Celtic over the years. Yeah I mean well I, I took the 
opposite view kind of last week. I mean, uh, he's one of these figures that you can you can de- you can easily defend Peter Lawwell's time. At yeah, Celtic no, Park. no. What what I meant there was, you know, take this season out of the equation and look at the other years that he's been at Celtic. He's actually you know, dig well from from a business kind of point of view. Apart from you, you can argue about the, uh, you know, the transfer windows, but apart from that, it's, it's dig well for Celtic. I mean, I suppose this is this is why he's such a divisive figure, um, because your side of the argument is correct, um, and probably how Asi put Lawwell was the exact opposite of that. Which is also I could argue my point, and it's correct. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. like, you, you can, he's a very divisive figure, and I'm you can see that. We, I'm sorry we've not got time to listen to your point of view, Matthew. No, <laughs> no, well, you yeah, no, no. I mean, you're right. He joined the club as chief executive in 2003, and I suppose back in your side, you know, he has overseen a period of probably unprecedented success in in Celtic's history. You know, he's delivered 29 trophies. Uh, of which you know, thirteen of them have been league titles. He's had four domestic trebles. They have got to the last sixteen of the Champions League on three occasions. So you know, in in theory, looking at that, you know, Celtic have been relatively successful under Peter Lawwell, and you know, he's you know he's went from really being quite a new kid on the block as such to arguably being one of the most sought after chief executives in the game. You know, I mean, I think Arsenal have been. Uh, known to have sought after him at times, mm. and Peter Lawwell's chosen to say it's Celtic Park. So, on that side of things, you're correct. You know, you can't argue with the trophies on the thing, and obviously the climate of Scottish football, you know, has changed as well from a financial point of view. So, not just on the field has it been successful, but you know, when when Scottish football has been stagnating financially and investments been hard to come by, um, well, the top nations obviously taking the most of it. Celtic have done well as a business in history, you know, historical generations from now, looking back, or future generations, should I say, looking back historically, we'll see this as being dominance on and off the park. So that's your side of the argument, and, and it's correct. You can't argue against it. But like I said, there's been many Celtic fans who take the opposite view of that and and argue that Peter Lawwell should have done better. You know, he's he's quite risk-averse, Um and that saw us fail to get into, into the Champions League on too many, or to Celtic to get into the Champions League on too many occasions, uh, particularly when we had no opposition, or Celtic had no opposition or not domestic blame. We had we had this position in, in Scottish football where Celtic were the only club on the block, and during that time, Celtic never got into the Champions League as much as they should have. So there was no opposition domestically when Celtic were winning uh, quadruple trebles and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he also had a bit of a scattergun approach to signings and penny pinching, which saw Celtic miss out on many good players. And John McGinn's obviously the example where John McGinn is probably now one of the best midfielders in English mm. football. But he wanted to come to Celtic and he was crying out to come to Celtic. Peter Lawwell penny pinched. He didn't want to pay the amounts. He didn't want to pay John McGinn the amount. And, you know, from what I understand, even when he was at Villa Park signing the contract, he actually phoned Celtic, from what I believe, to say, this is your last chance. Can you please offer what I what I need to come to Celtic Park? And, you know, Peter Lawwell refused to do it. And because of that, Celtic have missed out on one of the greatest players, probably a Scottish midfielder of this generation. Mm. Uh, Celtic also consistently failed to build from a position of strength. You know, the, the appointment of Rodgers, I think, showed what could be done. The appointment of Strachan, when 
uh, Lawwell was first there, showed what could be did, done. But they failed to support strengthening the team ahead of the Champions yeah. League qualifiers. They failed to uh, back Roger's philosophy of you know trying to take the club to a challenging European level. And because of that, Celtic haven't kicked on at all. At all. Mm. And really, again, just to say, you know, Neil Lennon's appointment, I think, sums up the whole mess. You know, when he was given the job initially when Rodgers left, Lennon was fine for a safe pair of hands to see Celtic through to the end of that season. But the full-time appointment of him in the showers it's in the Scottish Cup final, if that's to be believed, once again showed that Lawwell was quite risk-averse. And I think it showed that, you know, while his stepping down might be seen as a... A negative thing for some. It's definitely a positive for others. And Celtic need a fresh idea and they need a long term plan as to where Celtic are going to go. Because I think while it's quite easy to dominate Scottish football at the moment, and even though Rangers have overtaken Celtic this year, I think it is quite easy for them to have done that when Rangers weren't there. Mm. I think his tenure will be seen as really failing to bring in youth players. Um and the youth setup has failed miserably, especially since, unfortunately, Tommy Burns passed away. It has failed miserably. Uh, like I said, signings have been um, a scattergun approach. They've not bought the players to see Celtic challenging for European football. And as a European powerhouse, Celtic went backwards. So I think his tenure is going to be sadly marked by missed opportunity. And ultimately, he'll be seen as the, the person who was part of creating an environment that cost Celtic a 10 in a row when really for most of it mm. there wasn't many challengers in sight. Yeah, I would agree with you there. It's good work. It's good, um, well, I would say some some kind of work off and on and off the field for, for, for Celtic. Penny um, buying players, yeah, you could argue with that. Celtic's been a bit like that for years, yet you would say. Um, but he's actually gig well for the for the kind of like club as well. Um, and obviously, he bought, um, uh, as I say, Gorgon Scracken to the club, but also um, uh, Brendan Rogers to the club as well. But again, you, you've got to look at Brendan Rogers. Why do you walk out in the club now? Now I know that you're going to say about the money kind of like situation, but everybody knew that uh, Rogers was going at the end of that season, and everybody knew that if he was going to want another treble, that he would go down in history as one of Celtic's greatest managers behind uh, Jock Skeen as well. So, I, I, I think there's arguments that you can make on both sides there in terms of not giving Rogers money, but why did Rogers walk out? And don't forget that uh, Rogers walked out on the Wednesday, I think it was, or, or the yeah, mi- I mean- Monday, and uh, Celtic had two big games there, gave uh, Hibs in the Scottish Cup, and they had Hearts at um, Castle. Uh, and Neil Lennon came in and, you know, you know uh, got Celtic to the, well, got Celtic to win the, the Scottish Cup, but also beat Hearts as well, where I think it was Scott Singer that scored the goal as well. But I, I know what you mean. Um, I just wanted to say to you as well, Matthew, that I'm not too clued up on this guy. It's taken over Celtic, uh, Dominic, um the, the new the new chairman he is he's been involved in Scottish rugby for thirteen years. Yeah, I mean he, he was quite young. Um, I mean Dominic Mackay came in 
I was going to start calling him Peter Mackay. Is that a Freudian slip? I don't know. John Mackay. Um, <laughs> um, well, he came into Scottish rugby in, on, in January 2008, and he was only 29 years old. He came in as Director of Communications and Public Affairs, um, and he was quite good. Um, and he gradually took on a broader portfolio of the SRU before becoming Chief Executive Officer in 2015. So he had he has been around Scottish rugby and has seen a, a, a gradual growth in it because what apparently, I would say... He's, apparently he's a Celtic fan as well. Well, so I've heard, but... Well, the, the SRU... Well, I think the, the SRU really have, have managed to... have struggled a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure if he's a Celtic fan or not. I must admit, it's, it's never... I've never really... Um, found that out as much maybe maybe like most people coming to Celtic you know all of a sudden when they arrive at the club they, mm-hmm. they come out and say mm-hmm. they're a Celtic man as if that says uh, anything about them but um, oh, yeah yeah but, but yeah. yeah I mean he has I mean he, the Scottish Rugby Union have, have struggled for a long time and a lot of that is because um, Murrayfield the cost of the Murrayfield redevelopment has been round their necks I mean, obviously, if you've been to Murrayfield, um, obviously we're quite young, Michael, so we wouldn't have been to the old-style Murrayfield so much. Um, but the old-style Murrayfield was very old-fashioned. Nice of you to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, for both our sakes. Um, the SRU spent a lot of money um, themselves and via fan debentures to try and redevelop Murrayfield. And now, you know, arguably, it's one of the greatest stadiums, if not the best stadium in Scotland. Um, but because of that, the SRU had a large, large debt around their necks. And when Mackay came in there, he's he's had to deal with obviously Scottish rugby um, struggling on the pitch and struggling to compete um, since the game turned professional in the nineties. But he's also had to deal with uh, having to obviously spend money and keep up with the Irish and the English and the Welsh there. But he's trying to service this debt. And I have to say, during his time in Scottish rugby, the organisation has been transformed. I mean, he's been responsible responsible for all group commercial matters corporate affairs, government relations, like I said, the stadium and facilities. And he's oversaw the redevelop the development really of Scotland's two premier clubs in Glasgow and Edinburgh, um, being really a backwater sort of clubs into in the European context up there with the best. Um, he also sits on the board of a, a number of international rugby organisations. So he's really overseen Scottish rugby's slow but slow and gradual but definite improvement on and off the pitch. Um, and now, obviously, Scottish rugby, you know, we can see that Scotland are challenging uh, for sort of mid-range Six Nations places, which is better than, obviously, finishing last, like we usually do. Uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow have been challenging on a European front. I've been challenging on a pro uh, 14 level as well. So he has done a really good job, I think. And also because he's worked in that environment where um, he's brought in a lot of commercial revenues, like BT, for example, BT Murrayfield. He's managed to bring in a lot of commercial revenues where there hasn't been in the past. I think that's what Dermot Desmond's looking for in regards to that, because costs are, or the finances in the Scottish game aren't as good as they are. Dominic, um, Dominic Keane's proven um, that he can bring in revenue from nowhere and boost those coffers. And I think he's got a good track record in that regard. But I think, like Peter Lawwell as well, uh, his his future and, and how he does in the job will very much depend on Dermot Desmond and how he sees Celtic going in the future. Whether it is, you know, Celtic competing at the highest level and competing in Europe, or is it very much a Europe's a bonus and we want to just be able to uh, maintain our position or maintain their position 
at the top of the, the Scottish game. So it very much depends on where Dermot Desmond sees this as to where Dominic Mackay takes uh, Celtic in the long run. But like I said, he has got a track record and I think it's a positive appointment overall. Yeah, well, it's good about Zeki, uh, not not Dominic Keane, as my have to say, get me a minute ago, but... Did uh, whoops? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not coming back to Celtic. I don't know where he is. He's probably in a Bahamas somewhere, or maybe Salford somewhere. So these, uh, well, you know, you know you're saying about Celtic fans, all these Dominics and Keanes and... Uh, yeah, but... Peters, that, that, uh, Peters <laughs> and Pauls and Simons and... <laughs> Um, baby, um, yeah, um, we're here all week. Um, so, um, Matthew was talking about rugby. We've got rugby news coming up. I just wanted to spend a few minutes because we've actually gave it a lot of time over the past couple of weeks. Um, another story came out from Celtic. If, if the story about Peter Lowell wasn't enough, but uh, the, there was an email. Uh, chain going about. Matthew, uh, I know that we spoke about this, that the Scottish Government gave Celtic the okay, the okay uh, could go to Kirk, uh, Turkey uh, for the winter break, but obviously they went to Dubai. I thought you were going to say the email, we're talking about emails, maybe Dundee's vote has finally arrived in yeah. the inbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just check and see if I've got it here. I'll send you I- I mean, this is—I suppose this year could be seen as the the year or two, or last year, the, the year of two thousand and twenty, the email year, because everything related to emails, you know, um, and obviously emails relating to Celtic's controversial trip to Dubai have now been revealed, um, and in one, you know, Scottish government officials were pleased to say that the proposed trip uh, complied actually with COVID travel rules as long as it was uh, an elite sport requesting it. So it showed how the Scottish government and the SFA had obviously passed on requests back and forth in regards to uh, elite exemptions in regards to travel. And originally, the trip was due for Turkey, actually, and I think that's originally what the Scottish government agreed to uh, way back um, in October time. But obviously, I think what happened was Turkey then went into a bit of a lockdown and came up as a, a country that you couldn't visit. So Celtic didn't change it from Dubai to, um, or sorry, from Turkey to Dubai. Um, so therefore, yeah, there are, you know, there are um, links here and evidence that the Scottish government and the SFA definitely did approve that that uh, the trip and Celtic were right all along in that regard. However, the second part of that, again, is that obviously, um, or the first part of that, the argument against that would be obviously the, the situation changed. So when the Scottish government agreed to that and the SFA agreed to it, you have to remember that the COVID situation was in such a place where it wasn't as extreme as it eventually got in November or December. So they were agreeing to something at that point in time. But nobody foresaw then that the place with the country and countries would have to go into lockdown in November, December time. So after that, I think that's when the Scottish government were saying, well, maybe Celtic should have looked to that when the situation changed and changed rapidly, that they should maybe have changed their, their opinion on that trip and that the situation had changed. But then, of course, when they were abroad, and if it wasn't bad enough, they went. Um, then the photos emerged, you know, on social media of Neil Lennon and other players in sun loungers and uh, not wearing masks and not uh, um, observing social distancing. And then players gathered around the table in hotels and bars and all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's the next part of the argument is, you know, 
Celtic really should have reflected seriously on this. They should have asked, you know, was it a training camp? Uh, and if the training camp was necessary, but while on the training camp, you know, were they not adhering to social distance rules? Were they not adhering to lockdown rules in general? And, you know, I think, I think again, well, like I said, these emails show that Celtic were correct in saying that they had asked the Scottish government and they had asked the SFA. I don't think it really changes anything in regards to, you know, where the Scottish government went after that because the situation did change. And it doesn't change the fact of how Celtic treated that um, training camp and what they did on it. So, you know, I, I think it was just wrong. Um, and they're almost flogging a dead horse uh, trying to prove that they were correct in it. But it's just that it was wrong and they shouldn't have went. And I think it's simple as that. So basically what we're saying is tune in for uh, part four of the Celtic Panic Mine next week on Indie Live Radio. Um, now I'm on the kegging by the goods in case and I get emails, man. Oh, god, I know that no doubt that'll be the next thing. Neil Lennon got sunburn in Dubai, crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, um, again, um, you've getting you've got news, Matthew, on the Scottish government has been uh increased loan free to most of the SPFL football clubs. Michael, you weren't you weren't wrong when you said the news keep on coming this week, were you? I thought this yeah, was a quiet week on Wednesday. I know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's a gift that keeps on giving. I've told I you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know everything's fine, and then when we start when we think we've got yeah, this all sorted, I know. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the Scottish Football Association is close to agreeing a deal with the Scottish government that will give Premiership clubs access to interest-free loans of approximately or around 1.6 million. So the borrowed money would be repayable over a period of up to 20 years with no repayment due until 2022 at the earliest. And I think that is also obviously dependent on the COVID crisis. So, you know, if things kind of get back to normal, repayments could be due then. But if not, that that date could be delayed. Yeah, Uh, So, you know, I, I think a £20 million package was agreed yeah. uh, to support top flight clubs on the 10th of December, uh, full stop. But details of that were unclear at the time. However, now applications are being made and the funds could be in bank accounts for clubs in a matter of weeks. So um, I think out of the £20 million, you know, or out of the, the whole fund, um, you know, the rugby union is, in, is, is going to get some of that too. So the Scottish Premiership, um, look yeah. like they're getting 1.6 million of that. Um, a further 2.5 million in grants was made available to, for football clubs, including including the women's game and lower league game. Mm. Uh, championship clubs will receive a grant of half a million. League one clubs will get 150 thousand each, and League two teams will get 100 thousand each. Um, so that's part of that. The rugby union. Uh, the Scottish Rugby Union is going to receive 20 million, 5 million of that will be part of loans and 15 million will be grants while ice rinks and horse racing will get 2 million each with another 1 million to be split between other sports which hopefully will include Shinty Yeah so um, yeah I mean that, that's good that they're, they're doing that and I suppose it, it all because the most of the football clubs now has got their own TV channel. But I think that's down to the businessman. I can't remember his name now. And that, that we spoke about on the show ages ago, Matthew, um, when the football was announced, it was coming back. 
that um, this businessman putting money to the Scottish football to help the the clubs for the the fans to buy the channel. Yeah, I mean, well, we all know how um, how you know the Hibs TV worked the other day. So <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I think the guy you were after, when James Anderson, I think, put a lot of yeah, money yeah, to, yeah. Uh, into lower league clubs to have the football, the, the TV channels. And I think that's worked well. You know, clubs, while they're not surviving to the top level of where they would be if crowds were allowed and hospitality was allowed and things like that, um, their own TV channels have worked quite well, except one, I can't remember what the team was, so you'll have to forgive me. But I remember there was one game in the Scottish game where the, the first half was played and people were complaining they couldn't see the ball. The, the camera was just moving back and forth. Um, and people were complaining. And they said, well, nothing's wrong with it on, on our side because the camera was actually one of these electronic cameras that followed the ball. So it, it didn't need somebody operating it. It just followed the ball wherever it went. So the club said at halftime, right, we'll look into this to see what's going on. So they looked into it and then they found out what the problem was. The camera was doing what it should have done, but the linesman on the near side had no hair. Um, <laughs> and the, the sun was bouncing off his head, and the camera thought that was the ball and was just following the linesman's head. <laughs> <laughs> You've been flamed. Yeah, so maybe, you know, there are, there has been some funny teething problems. Yeah. But apart from that, it's mostly worked well, except when Irvin Welsh, obviously... Um, you know, came on Hibs TV uh, and was... We uh, won't say what he's saying. <laughs> oh, come on, let us say um, You know, but, well, yeah, I mean, I think I think what he said, what he said may have been accurate from a Hibs point of view. Uh, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now Hibs are in trouble. I mean, the thing is, if you get Irvin Welch on a Hibs TV show, what do you expect is going to happen? I mean, he's exactly, not going to sit yeah. there. He's, he's not going to sit there like a rotten dog, you know, and agree with everything. And I think no. you get what you get. And he's a big Hibs fan as well. I don't know why I said that, but yeah, everybody knows that he's a big high and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. And hands uh, up who hasn't wanted to decapitate uh, Morelos at one time or another. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Smooth. I take it your hands down, Michael. What? <laughs> I take it your hands down. Yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so. Uh, one bit of other sad news coming out of Celtic this week, uh, Celtic St Mirren tomorrow, uh, Dr Joe died, Joe Vengroth, uh, he died um, 84, um, he was the ex-Celtic manager of course, and the ex-Asking Villa uh, manager as well, so that was a bit of sad news, uh, I think that came out on Wednesday, so before, I think it was Wednesday night, Celtic Higginman at silence before the game against Hamilton Ackes. Uh, the other game's on tomorrow. Uh, Dungeon United against Hibs. Kamarok against Johnson. And Livingston against Aberdeen. Now, I just wanted to touch upon the Livingston situation because in Tuesday, David Mant, they went to the his healing uh, for the SFA, and he's a fit and proper manager uh, to be the manager of Livingston. Of course, the SFA was investigating because he was in jail for a short period of time before he became the manager. Now, I put on Twitter, Matthew, uh, that 
the SFA done this a bit back in front because if they wanted to investigate, why not do that when they got the job? What? I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm not being funny with this. I mean, he he obviously is a fit and proper guy to take on the job. Anyway, that was never really in doubt, and you know he's done well on the pitch. He's obviously he was obviously fit and proper enough to be a director of football. So why would they not be fit and proper mm. enough to be a main manager number one, yeah. number two? The SFA have a booming cheek because if you think about him, I, I think. He, he was, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of this story, but as far as I'm aware, you know, he was he was put in jail for irregularities regarding finance. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're quite they're quite happy to look into that, but then on the other hand, they're not very happy to look into Rangers past affairs and they drag their heels with that one. So, mm. you know, they have got a bit of a cheek um in that regard. And I think the outcome, uh the outcome obviously I think was a fair one and, and good luck to him. You know, he says he's learned his lesson. Um he says he's obviously he's quite sad and um, embarrassed as to what happened before, yeah. and he's trying to get onto his life, you know. So I mean, I mean, it doesn't put it again, Matthew. The SFA's what we would say is a joke. Sometimes that's our words, by the way, not anybody else's words. But uh, you know, I just I just showed you that the SFA is about five weeks or maybe five months behind everything that's happened. And I mean, you know that I mean the other thing as well is like Livingston's just got in their final. So if you could imagine Livingston in the final and the SFA says, Nope, you're not fit to be the manager of Livingston. <laughs> how would that go how would that reflect that uh, how would that reflect well in Scottish football? Yeah, no, I mean I think I think you're right in everything you say, you know, and, and when clubs have have you know, admitted and carried out tax avoidance and when they've not paid their debts to people. And in the SFA, on top of that, then are quite happy to readmit clubs into the league and readmit them into European competition without even really almost bothering to uh, take into account the fact that certain clubs have done this. Then I think, you know, it's one rule for one and one rule for another. You know, and it makes you think that if, the, if, if this situation was at one of the big teams in Scotland, or in particular Celtic Rangers, would we have had this issue? Uh, and would it have been as drawn out as it was? The answer's probably no. So, you know, I think, especially when they dragged out the situation and then they had the meeting, mm. and then within five seconds, the result was not known nearly that he was fit and proper. I think they've dragged it on too long. Um, and this should have been sorted out weeks, if not months ago. I mean, you um, just have to look at the football Matthew, right? If there was a big, uh, if there was a big, kind of like decision at the weekend right and if it goes to the SFA panel well that that guy who committed the foul would be fit to play because his healing for the SFA won't be two months down the line and yet when when his healing comes up everybody forgets what he was what he was called up for. <laughs> so the SFA is yeah, kind of slow that. I mean, compared to the, the Premiership, Matthew, if there was a big decision, say, tomorrow night, you, you know, just, just plucking the name out there, asking for that, right? Um, you know, and the player may get a, a tackle and they were sent off and it's to be called up in front of the FA. It would have been called up on Monday. But on here, if if it was Scotland, um, it would have been called up 
um, you know, like two weeks or even two months after the actual incident. So, yeah, I mean, the yeah. SFA is a bit of a, well, my words again, a bit of a laughing stock when it comes to, like, they're not really fast. No, and I, th- I, I do think on, on the pitch, I mean, I know you hate VAR, right? And I, I, I know what I'm going to say is going to annoy you. But, like, I, I mean, I don't, think that, I don't think the problem with VAR is VAR itself. I think the problem with VAR is the rules that mm. go along with it. If you, had, if you had a decent amount of rules that actually worked in, in football, then VAR would be quite straightforward because all VAR is, obviously, is looking at camera angles and stuff. Um, but you know, Wednesday night was a purposeful point as as why Scottish football is in a mess and how it can affect games. And this isn't just picking on one player in particular or one club in particular. But that it did come up in this fixture was how in particular because if you think about the Hibs Rangers game this weekend as an example, you had a manager, you had a referee, and you had a linesman within not very far from this situation. But you had what Morelos stamping clearly stamping on. Uh, Porteous the Hibs so in itself it was definitely a red card the referee's looking straight at it the linesman's looking at it but none of them even give a yellow card they don't they maybe talk to him but they'd leave it at that and it was a clear stamp now VAR could have easily if the rules were allowed VAR could have looked at that and sent off Morelos with the clear stamp and I mean number one it was lucky that he never broke his leg yeah it was a disgusting cowardly act from a player who's who actually does get on my nerves not from a not from a point of uh his his play on the pitch because I think he's probably one of the best strikers in Scotland on his day but his his attitude and his behaviour to his fellow professionals really annoy me. Um and things like that that happened on Wednesday were just disgusting. If that if Far could have looked at that they would have sent him off straight away number one. But number two that player then went on to score the winner on that time. How is that fair? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no. I think you're right. Obviously, VAR. We, we spoke about this when the, I think it was when the Premiership went back. Then I think we had a, a debate about it. For yeah, I mean, I, I I just don't like it. But in terms of that, I would work perfectly for that. But you know, and, and you know, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> just I, you, you, you can say you don't like it, Michael. I can tell you. <laughs> I know. Okay, I don't like it. No. End of story. Full stop. You're trying to convince yourself. Mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where I put a full stop. And move on for the show. Um, yeah. Oh, just a quick one as well, Michael. Just quickly. Yeah. I know you. I know you mentioned uh, Vingloss, and I would like to just say my own little piece on that because, like, he was one of the first managers. I remember at Aston Villa because everyone knows here I'm an Aston Villa fan in England and you know he when he was appointed it was quite a it was one of my early appointments as a Villa fan um, because you know he took Aston Villa over just after the World Cup um, and he actually became the first manager outside of Britain and Ireland to take charge of a top division club in England so you know I know after one season they, they didn't do very well and it was almost as if his his um his, what he wanted from players was a bit far of an advance at that time as to where English football was. So he did almost take Villa over ahead of his time. But he was the first ever manager outside of Britain and Ireland to take on a top job in England. So fair enough for him for doing that. And at Celtic, you know, uh, while it wasn't 
always good for Vingloss at Celtic. Um, he probably found one of the best players I've seen in my lifetime in Scottish football, Moravchik, yeah. um, during his time there. So it was really sad that he passed away um, at the age of 84. So, um, you know, I've, my condolences to his family um, and friends. Yeah, yeah, no, he was, he was a, he was a quiet man, but he was, he was a, he was, he was a good manager as well. And it's always sad to see somebody passing as well, especially when you've, you don't know them, but obviously you've got to know them through football and stuff like that. So I echo what Matthew said there. So condolences to his family and to the woman I've said as well because. I heard him speaking during the week on a, a TV station, and they still calls him the gaffer. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's good to, to see. Um, before we move on to not speak about football, <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit of news this week. Matthew Bell actually came out yesterday. To be honest with you, the uh, the qualifying draw for the twenty twenty three UEFA. Uh, European Under-21 Championships took place uh, yesterday morning. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that Scotland Under-21s was drawn alongside Denmark, Belgium, Turkey and Kazakhstan uh, in Group I. Um, I. I, I, I. <laughs> <laughs> there, there will be 53 nations uh, taking part. In, in the tournament, and believe it or not, Matthew, right? There's, um, I think it's because of the coronavirus. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not actually sure, but there is, um, there's only one group uh, with five teams on it, and Skeg has six teams. So all the groups has six teams apart from, uh, apart from uh, one group. Um, well, I don't understand that to be honest with you, but um, yeah, so good work to Scotland and the see. I, see, I think you've misread ones. that group. I think you've misread that group somewhere, Michael. Do you know why? Why? Because Israel's not there. Ah, yeah, well, <laughs> ah, okay, yeah, 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 Israel's seem to play Israel every week now. Um, <laughs> I'm just waiting for Celtic and Moon just to play Israel in the maybe that's where they're going. Uh, We've got enough Israel players at Scottish football at the moment. Well, so there the seems to be. Long as they go to Dubai. Um, <laughs> well, who have we got? Because we've got the well, we've got the Hibs keeper playing for Israel. We've got Beat on there. We've got uh, who else is Israeli that plays in Scottish football? There always seems to be quite a few of them, and then obviously we play them every week for uh, yeah. internationally. So I was a bit surprised when number twenty one table was pulled out because you just assumed Israel would be there. So it's a bit like saying, Matthew, if, if you've got nothing to do on a Saturday, in the olden days, obviously we, we won about then, but in the olden days, you'd be like, oh, I'm bored. And then you go down to your mate's house and say, want to give my football? So, uh, like, in case of that, uh, you, you, you could always go down to Beton's house or or some of the Hibs guys and say, you fancy against Scotland against Israel, I'll put gun the jackets. You imagine Beaton's house, you'd chap the door and Beaton would just slowly and casually glide to the door. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be with you in five minutes, five yeah. hours, you're still standing and say, no, we can't play football now, it's too dark outside. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back tomorrow morning at nine. 
<laughs> and then he comes back more at nine and why am I saying this for and he comes back at nine and they'll be scumming this bed. Yeah, continues next week. Um this 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 show um kind of like turns into Jack and Orley sometimes. No. Maybe it's good for me. Um you're listening to End of Life Radio, uh, the locker room. Um if you've listened to the show and if you want to listen to it again, why? Um, you can download the podcast, uh, why? Um, just go to Indie uh, Live, got radio, and you can find us on there. Yeah, we end here every Friday between 6 and 7, talking about, funny enough, sport. That's why it's called The Locker Room. And if you want to email us anytime, you can do so at lockerroomindelive at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook as well. Now, it's everybody's waiting for this now. It's Matthew's NFL Roundup. Yes. Oh, goodness. Well, do you know what? It's um, We're at the best time of the year now, the, um, from the Super Bowl coming up. We know who the Super Bowl is going to be between... Uh, Normally this week is the Pro Bowl, so coming up on Sunday we would normally have the best players out of the non-Super Bowl contestants uh, playing a sort of friendly match, as you might call it here. But unfortunately with COVID, that's not happening this year. Um, so next so, week is the... Uh, I get, the, get this, Matthew, I'm trying to be funny here, but I don't know if it will be funny. So next week's the Super Bowl, so this week it could be the Super Bowl. So... Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I can cut you off in the time, <laughs> and you'll be like, "Yes, please." <laughs> Sorry, oh. mate. No, no, it was it was um, it was a good weekend last weekend because obviously it was the conference championships, uh, and the result of that really is that Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face reigning champions Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl 55 on the 7th of February. So we'll probably talk about it more next week, but it's Tampa Bay against Kansas City Chiefs on the 7th of February. Um, You know, Tom Brady last week threw three touchdown passes to help the Buccaneers defeat the Green Bay Packers 31-26 in the NFC Championship game. And it's the first time in 18 years that the Kansas City Chiefs have reached the Super Bowl. So it's quite a momentous occasion uh, for for Tampa Bay in regards to that one. Number two, it's significant because Tampa Bay are the first ever team to reach a Super Bowl at their home stadium. So Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face Kansas City in Tampa Bay and that's the first time that's ever happened. So it was a historical uh, evening all round for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But they face the Kansas City Chiefs, who then who were uh, winners 38-24 against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, there was touchdowns from Hardman, Williams, uh, and two from Travis Kelsey, who has really cemented himself as probably the best, if not the best ever tight end in NFL history. And the, so therefore the Kansas City Chiefs come in there with some serious firepower that Tampa Bay will have to stop. Um, like I said, it's the first ever time that the, uh, a, a team has played in the home stadium. And for for um, for Tom Brady, it's the 10th Super Bowl appearance for him. And he'd be looking for his seventh win. So I think Tom Brady's been around the NFL for 20 years, would you believe? So that's just as long as Peter Lawwell, although 
probably a bit more successful than him. Out of the 20 years, he's been in 10 Super Bowls, so that's amazing. And to have won seven Super Bowls, I don't think that record is ever going to be beaten um, by any other quarterback. However, he is up against Patrick Mahomes, who is trying to compete with Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time. Mahomes was the most valuable player in last season's Super Bowl, and he's absolutely relished in the chance to come up against the NFL's greatest of all time. It's going to be, I think, one for the ages. Uh, and if you want to stay up and watch it, Michael, on the 7th, I would take the opportunity because I think this is going to be... Uh, sometimes Super Bowls don't always reach the heights, but this one has definitely the ingredients to, to reach that level. Um, but also from a fan's point of view, would you believe, uh, as a result of COVID-19 restrictions, there will be 22,000 people at the Super Bowl this this year with 7,500 of those places going to healthcare workers who have been given free tickets. So I'd just like to say fair play to the NFL for that, um, giving nearly half of the available capacity of the stadium to healthcare workers for free is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, we always have these debates about Super Bowls and we'll have it here again. Uh, there are obviously some places available um, to get in for the average fan. Tampa Bay Buccaneers season ticket holders or Kansas City Chiefs season ticket holders. Uh, Michael, do you want to hazard the guess how much it will cost to get into the Super Bowl this year uh, for one ticket? For one ticket? Uh, one dime? No, uh, no, the, the dime. <laughs> dime, bars. dime bar. Dime yeah. bar, <laughs> um, I'm not actually sure about uh, £20 ever money. Or, no, no. <laughs> well, I... I not that I had any chance of going, right, because of obviously COVID restrictions. Uh, but uh, I had a look to see, just out of curiosity, how much these cost. Because I've been to Super Bowl before, um, and they're obviously extortionate. So I'm always quite interested in Super Bowl prices. Uh, I had a look to see how much the cheapest ticket I could get would be for. $10,000 for one. And how, how much is that in ever money? <laughs> That's about eight grand, maybe. Oof, yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, uh, when do you want me to pick you up? Yeah, we are not paying that for uh, a Celtic Kilmarnock Scottish Cup final. Ten grand? No, you're right. Um, I mean, this no, you game... can buy your own. No, I'm buying <laughs> mine. Yeah. But this, I mean, this game for all I've I've bigged it up. I just find it amazing this year. I mean, normally the Super Bowl I went to, you were maybe looking about two, three, four thousand dollars. Uh, to get in on the on the black market ticketing, um, which is about right for a Super Bowl, really. But because of the capacity issues and COVID, $10,000. Um, it's an unbelievable amount of money. Um, and I feel sorry for the fans of uh, Kansas City. I feel sorry for the fans of uh, Tampa Bay uh, that they're going to miss a home final um, because there's no way... Um, you're going to be able to afford that as an average fan to get. I know I've just done a check. £7,284.85. Oh, that's all right. That's fine. That's kind of cheap. And you can watch it on the TV and you get no refund. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That, that was... Uh, sport. <laughs> but I... No, it's, it's expensive. It's worth... I mean, if you can ever go to a Super Bowl, it's probably the best sporting experience you'll ever have. Um, but it just shows you, for, for normal fans, it's not... a sport to follow because you just ain't getting in you know 
And before you say it, Matthew, I don't know why I'm going to say it now, but again, I can't watch the Super Bowl because I don't know why, but uh, half two in the morning, I do my hair. Um, and it takes me five minutes to... No, it takes me longer to do my hair as well. And also the other thing I was going to say to you was every week when we speak about the NFL, I'm so glad that you see that the Buccaneers and <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> Is that is that not what Irving Wells called drink? No, no, no. <laughs> answers on <laughs> answers on a postcard, please. Yes, um, to to Matthew's house, wherever that is, in the jail. Um, so and then is that not the Livingston manager? <laughs> <laughs> I told you you can say that all there, but no, um, the the. the um, Next week, Matthew would see the beginning of the Six Nations, and we get our kind of preview next week because we're joined by a our kind of like feral journalist. Um, because I can call you a journalist now, Matthew. Welcome to the club, a uh, very crude one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what a club, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, wait till the game's over, um, yeah, a buccaneer, so, uh, yeah. But, uh, Peter Lowell special. Um, yeah, so um, we're joined by uh, the reporter next week to speak about the Six Nations. Um, always a big tournament, but sadly, again, I don't think there'll be any fans here this year um, to experience it. But you've got a bit of news on rugby this week, Matthew. Well, I think, you know, all these stories obviously have now been overshadowed by the fact that you know, Dominic Mackay's left his post as the SRU chief executive. So um, that's probably, again, the biggest news to have come out of Scottish rugby this week is that they'll obviously now be looking uh, to fill that massive role or hole that he's left. So um, the SRU have obviously got that to deal with and probably the worst time to do it, if you see what I mean, during COVID. So um, I, f- I feel sorry for the SRU that they've lost a very talented chief executive and um, someone who's brought the sport on um, over the last few years and they'll find it hard to replace them um, but there is obviously other news coming up to the Six Nations as you mentioned the big ones obviously next week uh, fly half Finn Russell uh, is, is obviously returning to the squad and he is quite excited by what he's seen in regards to the players mindset and also uh, the coaching of the, of the players during the training for the Six Nations coming up. So it was a shame last year, Russell missed most of the tournament last year for breaching team protocol. And he's had a bit of an on-off relationship with the Scottish coaching staff over those years. But he's looking forward to be back uh, playing. And, you know, he's had a very successful time at Racing 92 as a player. And he feels excited and he feels ready Uh for Scotland to be challenging, not just uh, on an individual game-by-game basis, but he thinks that Scotland have a chance to really challenge for the Six Nations crown this year, Um, which is very exciting when you hear players talking like that because with Scotland, you never really hear it. Uh, And Russell, obviously, his racing racing 92 side were actually beaten by Stuart Hogg's extra Chiefs in last season's championship. And he's set to win, obviously, his 52nd cap for Scotland against England next week. So just the day before the Super Bowl, Scotland against England, Twickenham at six on the 6th of February. It's a massive, massive game. And then we'll obviously get, a, uh, you know, from the sounds of Stuart Hogg and from Finn Russell, um, 
Scotland actually have a real chance at this game. There's a freshness in the squad. Um, they're looking. They feel that they can improve on last year's fourth place finish. Um, and I have to say, I'm, I've been quite confident with Scotland generally over the last year. But this is a real chance, I think, of Scotland to be able to challenge your France's, your England's, your Ireland's. I think Scotland have a chance uh, this year. They have probably one of the best tens in the world now. Um, probably have the best kicking game out of everybody in, in the Six Nations this year. And, you know, there's a real chance, and we'll see at Twickenham how far we're off competing for the Six Nations, I think. And I'm pretty excited about the game on is that, uh, Saturday. Is that Aye, is that... I was good, good to see. Is that the first game, Matthew? Yeah, yeah, that's the first game. So, yeah, um, I mean, normally I would, normally I would be quite excited by this time because I go to the Six Nations uh, quite a lot. Um, not as a journalist, obviously, as a, just a normal fan. Um, and this year, normally I've got my trips booked to whether it's Edinburgh, whether it's Rome, whether it's Dublin, whether it's Cardiff. You get really excited about these sorts of things, and this is the first Six Nations I've been maybe hot and cold about a little bit because because I've not been able to go. But as we're getting closer to it, I can feel the, the butterflies appearing again. Um, and I'm quite excited about this Six Nations tournament. Um, so we'll see where we're at. We'll see yeah, where we're at. yeah, it's always good to see the Six Nations as well. But as I say, it's going to lose a bit of the atmosphere, especially the game that's we get quicken twitting them. Um, and I, you know, the Irish fans as well, because there's no fans there. But as I say, next week we're going to have a preview and we're hoping to have a, a kind of build-up to the games, what's that, every second week or every weekend to the Six Nations as well. So uh, look forward to that on, on the show next week. Um, as I say, oh, the, and just quickly yeah. as well, there's one other bit of rugby news. Um, not, not a very... It's pretty well. It's not as positive. In fact, it's quite negative, um, in the sense that Fiji international lock and back row Nakarawa has signed a one-year deal with Pro Fourteen side Ulster. So he unfortunately will be moving to Ulster after ending his second stint with Glasgow Warriors at the conclusion of this year. So you know, unfortunately, he was European player. He's a former European player of the year, and he made his senior breakthrough with Glasgow in 2013 uh, before he moved to Racing 92 in 2016 but then he returned um, and again he's been one of Glasgow's most talented players in the back row and lock positions um, but sadly yeah he's joining at 32 which is, isn't isn't old for a rugby player by any means he'll be coming over here to play in Belfast um, instead so it's a sad loss to, to Scottish rugby in Glasgow in particular but uh, good luck to him uh, coming to Belfast next year. Yeah, good luck, Tim. So the locker room number one for sport will be back next Friday at six o'clock. And um, yeah, so have a good week weekend if you're watching sport or whatever. And uh, I will see you next week on the show. Um, and I will, uh, I will see you next week. And... Um, no, no, I won't see you next week. You'll hear from me next week. <laughs> and uh, you'll hear from Matthew as well, um, speaking about uh, football, football and rugby. Um, and, uh, yes. Oh, and NFL. <laughs> and, oh, the Super Bowl preview as well, yeah. Um, yep. So a busy show as always. Um, well, and we'll also have the end of, which we never really spoke about today in any depth, just quickly, but uh, the transfer window's closing. 
Yeah, yeah, the transfer windows uh, shutting down um, and big news on Mac as well. So have a good week and we'll see you next week here on the locker room here on Andy Live Radio.